Hello and welcome to the second podcast in our Global Business Crime Outlook podcast series. My name is Alison Saunders and I'm a partner in our Linklater's dispute resolution practice, which is based in the UK. I'm joined today with my colleagues Andrew Chung and Kirsten Wilhelm, who are also partners in our dispute resolution team based in Hong Kong and Germany, respectively. And I'm also joined by Ellie Proudlock, counsel in the UK, Sean Solomon, senior US associate, and Eleanor Hanzo, a managing associate in our Paris office. In this podcast, we'll be briefly discussing a key recent development in each of our jurisdictions. So we'll cover Asia, Germany, the UK, the US and France. So on that note, let's start with Asia. So Andrew, your key development. One of the key areas of interest in Asia this year for both clients and lawyers alike will be how the new Chinese blocking rules will be applied in response to foreign sanctions. Just to recap, on the 9th of January this year, the Chinese government published blocking rules, which came into effect immediately. At a high level, the key features of these rules are, first, an obligation on PRC persons to report to the Chinese Ministry of Commerce if they're impacted by relevant sanctions. Second, the sanctions will then be assessed by the government, and if determined to be unjustified, a prohibition order will be issued. Finally, a failure to comply with a prohibition order can lead to administrative penalties and fines for PRC persons, but importantly, it can also expose foreign persons to civil claims in the PRC courts. We know that many global organizations apply US sanctions as a matter of best practice and for operational reasons, even if they're not strictly required to do so. However, in view of the new blocking rules, organizations need to consider whether to continue this practice if their dealings with PRC counterparties are impacted by US sanctions. At this stage, we're not aware of any prohibition orders having been issued. Given how new the blocking rules are, some key questions remain unanswered as to how they'll be applied. These include the scope of a US-based company applying US sanctions. Also uncertain is how the PRC authorities monitor and apply the reporting obligations on PRC persons and how prohibition orders will be drafted in practice. What we do know is that there's keen interest in this area from our clients and we'll be monitoring developments closely and we'll keep you updated. Be really interesting, Andrew, to see what happens there. So that's really great. Thank you. So Kirsten, what about Germany? What's going on there? With a view to business crime in Germany and the current legislative process around the introduction of a new law on corporate criminal liability is of key interest for national and international companies alike. If the law is eventually passed, it will have a major impact for the following reasons. First of all, because the law will lead to an increase in the number of proceedings since prosecutors will be obliged to conduct investigations against companies instead of having discretion as they currently do. Secondly, sanctions will go up. The current maximum amount of 10 million euros will increase to 10% of the annual general turnover of the company if it generates a turnover of more than 100 million euros per year. And thirdly, also foreign companies can fall under this new law if German law applies to the underlying criminal offense. 
On the positive side, the law will reward those companies which have invested in compliance because having effective compliance management systems in place can lead to a reduction of the fines and companies that carry out internal investigations and fully cooperate with the prosecution authorities might also benefit from lower sanctions in the end. Hence, companies are well advised to start looking at their compliance management systems to be prepared for the law once it eventually comes into force. This is also particularly important for the company's management and the directors and their potential liability if there is a criminal offence subject to sanctions under the new law and the company has not put any compliance measures in place to prevent such offences so that the company will eventually not benefit from a reduction of the fine. So good to be prepared and look ahead. Thanks, Kirsten. Moving next to Ellie, what about the UK and key developments there? In the UK, a contentious issue in recent years has been the extent to which the serious fraud office's so-called Section 2 powers, which allow it to compel the production of documents from companies or individuals, are able to be exercised extraterritorially in order to compel the production of overseas documents from overseas companies. Last month, the Supreme Court finally put the issue to bed, ruling that the SFO's powers do not extend to documents held outside the jurisdiction by foreign parties. That doesn't mean that material held outside the UK by non-UK companies can't be obtained by the SFO, but it does mean that, generally speaking, the SFO will have to continue to rely on the time-consuming process of mutual legal assistance between states except where there's an international agreement in place that allows the SFO to obtain data directly from communication service providers located abroad. So it's good news for companies based outside the UK, but it is likely to hamper the SFO's investigative ability in overseas investigations, especially combined with the fact that post-Brexit, the SFO can no longer make use of European investigation orders. Another significant development in the UK are the recent charges brought by the Financial Conduct Authority against NatWest under the money laundering regulations. This is the first prosecution of its kind in the UK, so do look out for our recent podcast on what criminal prosecutions under the money laundering regulations involve, how they differ from a regulatory investigation, and what ultimately it could mean for a defendant company. Thanks, Ellie. Those are two really significant developments, and I'm sure we will see more prosecutions in that space. So, Sean, how does that compare with the U.S.? Thanks, Alison. The big story here isn't the passage of a particular piece of law or regulation, but in the changing presidential administration. For the past four years, criminal prosecution and SEC scrutiny of Wall Street, large corporates hasn't been a major priority. But under the newly seated Biden administration, we expect to see a significant change in approach. The new Attorney General, Merrick Garland, is a well-respected former federal appellate judge. And under his leadership, the DOJ will likely sharpen its focus on civil rights, consumer protection, and traditional corporate misconduct, including overseas corruption and fraud, especially fraud flowing from the COVID crisis. The DOJ has also announced initiatives in less traditional areas, most notably environmental and climate-related misconduct. President Biden's nominee for chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, previously served as the chairman of the CFTC, where he took an aggressive approach to corporate enforcement. Under his leadership, if confirmed, the SEC is expected to shift its focus from Main Street to Wall Street, 
with more emphasis on scrutiny of financial services company practices. Traditional areas such as financial reporting and insider trading are also expected to be prioritized. The SEC has also recently launched an ESG task force that will look to examine companies' environmental, social, and governance-related disclosures and compliance. Finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention sanctions. The Treasury Department is in the process of reviewing U.S. sanctions programs to assess their effectiveness and consider alternative approaches. That said, sanctions will continue to be a favorite foreign policy tool, and we do not expect wholesale changes, though there may be adjustments at the margin. For example, greater implementation of sanctions against Russia or loosening of sanctions against Cuba. Thanks, Sean. It'll be interesting to see how the Biden administration will move things forward with those changes. Now, moving on to Eleanor, what do you think is the key development in France? Thank you, Alison. Clients based in France are particularly interested in recent developments in French anti-corruption law. In 2016, the Sapin II law obliged large companies to put in place anti-corruption compliance programs with possible penalties imposed by the French Anti-Corruption Authority. About 20 companies are audited each year by such authority. In January 2021, it published updated recommendations, including lessons drawn from its past audits. Certain points of the legislation are now clarified. Although sometimes the recommendations go beyond what is provided by the legislation itself, which may of course be a subject of litigation in the future. Companies will have to carefully review these new recommendations. Since no fine was imposed by the authority to date, one cannot exclude that after four years of relative tolerance toward companies, leaving them the time to adapt, the authority now adopts a different approach and a more severe one. That's really great. Thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening. If you're interested in finding out more, you'll find lots of helpful resources on the business crime and investigations part of the Linklater's website. Our next podcast will be on sanctions, and you'll also be hearing from more of our lawyers from across the global network sharing their insights in other upcoming podcasts. We are also hosting monthly webinar sessions on different topics within the business crime space. So look out for those email invitations. Finally, if you would like to get in touch with one of the team um, or any of us, then please do reach out. Thank you. <laughs>